have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. In some ways, this is a continuation of the passage that Pastor Bill taught last week. Um, it begins with a therefore, so we certainly want to consider kind of what he was talking about last week, and then it carries on into this passage. So I want to take just a second to talk a little bit about 2 Corinthians in general. And I don't want to go too far into this because Pastor Bill and David have already done such a, a good job of laying out the history and the background. Um, but suffice it to say, uh, this was a church that had been very problematic at times for Paul. It was a church that Paul loved dearly. He spent more time there than anywhere else except for Ephesus. He spent 18 months in Corinth. He planted the church on his second missionary trip. He traveled on from there. Uh, not too long from that, he wrote a letter, a letter that we do not have. Um, they received the letter, the church of Corinth. They had additional questions. They wrote to him asking for further clarification. So he wrote them another letter, and that is the letter that we know as 1 Corinthians. So they received this, and it wasn't long after that that it became clear to Paul that problems had only gotten worse, and now there were false apostles in the church. So he wrote an additional letter known as the severe letter. This letter is also lost to us, but that would be the third letter that Paul wrote to um, the church at Corinth, and he sent it by Titus. Now, Paul was very grieved. He was very concerned that they might not receive this letter well, but they did, and Titus met up with Paul, and he had a good report that the Corinthians had received the letter that they had repented for the most part. Now, Paul had the wisdom to know that there would be an undercurrent still of frustration or, or bitterness or whatever was going on, so he wrote a fourth letter, which we have here, the letter of 2 Corinthians. This is not so much a, an instructive letter uh, as 1 Corinthians is. There's really a, a number of themes in this, this book, and I'll just cover a few. One was to encourage the church to restore the repentant brother. You remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul had encouraged them to kick this guy out if he wasn't going to get his act together, and David did a wonderful job covering that passage recently. Secondly, he explains his itinerary. There had been some changes in his plans, and he took a little bit of time to explain what had happened there. He wanted to defend his apostleship against false teachers, and you really see that theme throughout this letter in particular. He gave instructions regarding an offering that the church was uh, taking up to give to the church in Jerusalem. And lastly, this was a letter that was designed to offer great comfort to those whom he clearly loved. It is a letter of comfort. In fact, the word that is used for comfort is found 29 times in this letter. So Paul really lays his heart out before the Corinthians. And in this chapter that we're looking at, the first few verses, Paul starts by explaining to them that they are his letter of commendation. Pastor Bill talked about that last week. Their very existence was the evidence that God had called Paul to pastor those, uh, those believers to plant that church. Then he goes on to say in the following verses that his sufficiency is in Christ in the new covenant. 
versus the old covenant. And Pastor Bill uh, spent a great deal of time last week telling us really what that is, the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. But the verses that I'm going to be looking at today are verses uh, 12 through 18. And it really kind of follows that same idea. And it, it carries on uh, with the illustration that he gave last week of the veil in Exodus. Moses had to wear a veil, and we'll be talking about that in a little more detail. Paul continues on with that illustration about the veil and how it's removed in Christ. He goes on to talk about the freedom that we enjoy because of the Spirit and the tra transformational power that occurs in the new covenant, the transformational power of the gospel. So those are really the realities of the new covenant, and that's what we're talking about today, the realities of the new covenant, where we're at, the New Testament church, the things that have been, have been made available to us through Christ at the cross, through the power of the Holy Spirit, these things are for us. So it's very important that we understand these things. So let me read our text, and then we'll pray. Verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us more clearly through the word of God. And we've gathered here today to learn of you, to learn from you. So Lord, I just ask that you would pour your spirit out in this place. As we understand what it means to experience this freedom in the Spirit, I pray that your Holy Spirit would meet with us in a very special way, in a very fresh way, Lord, that you would be our teacher here today, and that you would be exalted, and that you would be glorified as we seek to humble ourselves and to sit at your feet and to be taught by you. You're worthy, God. You're worthy of so much more than we could ever give you. I pray that this time would be an acceptable offering for you, God, that you would be worshipped. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we use great boldness of speech. So as I said, the word therefore connects us to the previous text or idea. So I just want to consider verse 11. Verse 11 says... For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. So the idea here is that the old is past and what is more glorious remains. The new covenant is superior and it is permanent. And you really find this concept in the book of Hebrews. 
Throughout the book, Paul, well, we don't know who the author is. I hate when I do that. I'm not convinced that Paul is the author. Uh, but the author of Hebrews over and over states that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's a greater high priest serving over a greater covenant and a greater tabernacle with greater promises. And in chapter 8, I'm going to read a, a few random verses here in this chapter. Verses 1 through 2, verse 6 and 7, and then verse 13. It says, Now this is the main point of the things that we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a ministry of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. And that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now that which is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So we're talking about a greater covenant. We are living in a greater covenant over which Jesus presides. And Paul says that we have such hope. We have such hope. And this word hope, it means confidence. It's not wishful thinking, but it's a, an expectation or a trust. Because of this new covenant that we are in, there is great hope and confidence and expectation. He said, because of that, we use great boldness of speech. Great boldness of speech. And what he's saying is, is that we're speaking plainly. We speak clearly. We speak very boldly. In other words, there's nothing hidden about what we're saying. There's nothing veiled. And now he makes a contrast, moving into verse 13. He said, there's nothing hidden, there's nothing veiled, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel would not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. So now he's referencing Moses again. And you'll remember in Exodus chapters 32 through 34, Moses went up onto Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord to receive the commandments. While he was up there, they had created the golden calf. Moses comes down. He finds out what was going on. He breaks the tablets. He goes back up onto the mountain for a second time. God gives him the commandments again. And when he comes back down off the mountain, Exodus 34, his face was glowing. And it says that he veiled his face, and it would appear that he did so because the people were frightened when they saw the glow. But Paul indicates that there was another reason that he veiled his face spiritually speaking according to Paul the veil signified the fact that the old covenant the covenant that God had uh, Moses had received from God and was delivering to the people was temporary it was uh, fading away it was vanishing and he didn't want the people to look steadily upon that which was uh, fading away so he kept his face veiled so Paul is uh, making this um, contrasts here that Moses was attempting to hide something which was fading away, which would soon pass away. But we, on the other hand, we speak with great boldness. We're not hiding anything. There's no veil here. We're speaking plainly and clearly for everyone to hear and to see. As glorious as it was, it was only temporary. It was only one phase of God's revelatory plan. Now, I will say this. The Old Covenant was very necessary. 
it was very important for us to understand just how serious God actually is. Just how dangerously holy God is. God has righteous requirements. And we had to understand that about God. Because if we did not realize the holiness of God, we would not appreciate the grace of God. We would not appreciate the great gift that He has given to us in His Son. And we would not appreciate the new covenant the way that we do. So it was important that we had the old covenant. But it served its purpose. And it was a passing away so that that which was greater would come. Verse 14 says, But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. So now this veil that separated the people from Moses, spiritually speaking, still exists today. And it speaks of a blindness that exists over uh, the people when they are reading the Old Testament, when they're reading the law, they don't get it. They don't understand the New Covenant. There's a blindness there. One commentator said the Old Covenant was veiled. It was shadowy. It was made up of types, pictures, symbols, and mystery. Moses communicated the Old Covenant with a certain obscurity. Now, we know that there is a blindness that exists in Israel and for the Jews, and Romans chapter 11 talks about this. Verse 25 he says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. So there is a blindness that exists in Israel and for the Jews, and I don't want to get into that other than to say that the Bible does clearly teach that. But there are other types of blindness. There are other types of blindness that I think we all see or perhaps were blinded by at one point in our time. One is human depravity. Because of the original sin, because of Adam and Eve's uh, choice to disobey God, the Bible clearly teaches that we were born into this world separated from God in sin. We're separated from God. It's not possible to please Him. Romans 8, verses 6 through 8 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We were separated from a holy God because of our sins and we were blind. That's why we sing that song, I once was blind and now I see. Right? We were doing our own thing. We cared nothing about God or His ways. In fact, we were enemies to God. But when our eyes were opened, when we were convicted by the Holy Spirit, when we said yes to Jesus, the veil was removed. And we were able to see God and to understand His Word and to respond. But there's another veil, intellectual pride. Some people are just too intelligent for their own good. They have to have everything perfectly spelled out. When God calls us to walk by faith, ultimately, we'll never have all the answers. I'll never be able to explain everything to you. And even if I could, sometimes I don't think even that would be enough. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to Him must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. 
He who would come to God must believe that he is God and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, we cannot please him. The next veil would be prejudice and tradition. This was true of Paul. Paul was so zealous for Judaism, he hated the Christians to the point of violently persecuting them because this was not the way that he always did it. This wasn't the way that they always understood it to be. He had his traditions. He had his prejudice. And this was Paul's concern for the rip, uh, the, I did it again. Paul's concern for the recipients of Hebrews. Um, the author of Hebrews, this was his concern, that they would go back to that which they always knew. When the author says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us through those who heard him? There is no other way. No other way than the way that was being presented in Christ Jesus. And how will you escape if you go back to that which you've always known because of tradition, because of prejudice? And then lastly, I think this one is more common than any other, and it's lust and self-interest. People don't want to know the truth. People love their sin. They don't want to be accountable. They don't want to believe that these things are true. And John chapter 3 verse 19 says this, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. So there are many types of veils that lie over people's eyes, many types of blindness, but the scriptures say that in Christ the veil is removed. Amen? No matter what kind of blindness, in Christ it's removed. So verse 15 and 16, 2 Corinthians. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So how is the veil removed? It's in the text. How is it that the veil is removed? When what? When one turns to the Lord. Very good. So how does this happen? You know, how does one turn to the Lord? Well, John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment. So Jesus said that when I go, the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict the world. He'll convict the world. So I would suggest to you that it's our job to pray. It's our job to pray for the lost. Amen? Because in John chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he said, the wind... it." blows where it wishes it comes and it goes we don't know where it comes from or where it goes so is everyone who is born of the spirit now there's a couple of things we could take away from that one we can't see the wind blowing but we can see the effects of it we can't see god we can't see the holy spirit but we can see the effects of him as he's working in people's lives but on the same note we can't remove the veil from someone's eyes any more than we can control which way the wind blows so we desperately cry out to God for mercy. 
that God would send his Holy Spirit to convict those who have this veil over their eyes, whatever the veil may be. We cry out that God would open their eyes and that they would receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit and that they would respond to it. So that gives us a great responsibility, church. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore exhort, exhort first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So we as a church are instructed to pray. And we're instructed to pray for all men, but especially the lost. This is pleasing in the sight of the Lord because he desires that all would be saved. And then it goes on to talk about Jesus being the mediator between God and man. Jesus is the perfect demonstration of this. Just as Jesus was mediator to God on our behalf, we too should be going to God and, and lifting up other people so that they would be saved, so that they would receive so great a salvation. And we meet here on Mondays in the, uh, the bookstore, and there's been a faithful little group of people. We have six to eight people consistently, and these are the things that we're praying for. We pray for people's salvation. We pray that addiction would be broken, that chains would be broken. We pray for a number of things, and that's why we keep encouraging you guys to come because we want to be a church that prays. But we understand that you can't all be here at that time, so my encouragement to you is pray. Open up your home. Invite a few people in, just a small group. Maybe you're afraid to pray in front of a large crowd. I don't know, but if we had several people in this church start opening up their home and just invite a small group of people in to pray, that's a praying church. Do you want to see people get saved? Do you want to see the chains fall off? Do you want to see addiction broken? Do you want to see relationships restored? Show me a praying church. Amen? And that's exactly our responsibility. And that's all that we have. That is our weapon when it comes to removing the veil. That's our part to play. And perhaps there's somebody in this room today who has this veil over your face and the Lord is speaking to your heart right now. Right now the Lord is convicting you. You know what I'm saying is true. You know that Jesus is real and that he did die and he rose from the grave and he offers you forgiveness of sin. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And I would be encouraging people in this room right now to be praying for folks in this room who may need this. And you know that God's speaking to your heart. And we're going to have a time after the service that you can come up and respond. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So this is connecting us again back to Exodus, talking of Yahweh God. And what he's saying here is that now God, the same God that Moses spoke to face to face in the Old Covenant, is the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit is, there's liberty. Just as Moses stood before God with unveiled face, we too in the New Covenant by the Spirit experience God without the veil. 
One commentator, Scott Hafman, said, Though unspecified in the context, most likely this refers to many kinds of freedom that come with salvation in Christ and with the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is, freedom from condemnation, guilt, sin, death, the old covenant, and blindness to the gospel, as well as freedom that gives access to the loving presence of God. So there is great freedom in the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now what he's not saying is, is that where the Spirit of the Lord is, we're free to bark like dogs. You understand? To shriek and to flop, flop on the ground and roll around. What he's also not saying is that where the Spirit of the Lord is, we can live however we want to. That we can just live a licentious life. Paul said, by no means shall we continue in sin that grace would abound. Absolutely not. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. So we've been set free. We have been set free from the requirements of the law. We don't have to measure up. We never did measure up. We never will measure up. We don't have to. Christ measured up. We have been set free to love. I get to obey Christ. I get to love Him. I get to serve Him because of what He has done on my behalf. There is great freedom there. But you know, there is a subtle deception that creeps up, even with people that understand this very clearly. And this was the case for me. When I grew up, my life was a very lawless life, and that was what I was taught. Um, there was no structure. There were no rules. I was allowed to do what I want, when I want. So when I came to know Christ, I found all of a sudden this very interesting desire for rules. I craved structure. Um, I heard someone say one time that they were in a, a, a denomination that puts a great deal of emphasis on rules and regulations, and they said it, it's almost like a warm blanket, it seems like to me. They find great comfort in the strict, rigid rules. They find safety in that. They hide behind that. And it was never intended to be that way. Um, one thing that was interesting, I heard Chuck Smith say one time, people have this uh, innate desire to receive uh, punishment. We're, we're raised that way. You get in trouble... You receive your punishment, now your conscience is clear, and you can go on and live your life until the next time you get in trouble and you get your conscience clear through punishment. But it doesn't work that way as a Christian. You simply receive forgiveness. You simply receive grace, but many people cannot understand that freedom. So they feel like they have to be punished or disciplined or they have to heap some sort of something on themselves because they don't understand the grace and the forgiveness and the liberty that is theirs in the spirit and I, I noticed uh, at some point in my Christian walk that I kind of a bent towards this I can be very performance based I tend to think that I have to do all these things and if I don't on a bad day God's displeased with me but the reality is, is because of what Christ has done and Christ in me, God will never love me more or love me less than he does right now. It's unconditional. It's fixed. But I find myself getting bound up in this. So 
I remember one time, I have a little list in my mind that I call upon the things that I should be doing or not doing. And for one week, I kept my list. Now, I'm not saying I was, you know, in sinless perfection, but all these things, I, I did it. And then at the end of the week, I thought, I feel miserable. I don't feel any closer to God at all. In fact, I feel farther. I was like, what is up with this? The reality is, is that we simply receive God's love and we walk in it. We can't make him love us more. We can't make him love us less. It simply is what it is. There's great freedom. Great freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is. Galatians 3, 1 through 3 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So he said, you guys started out so great. You started out in a move of the Spirit. You were walking in that freedom. And now you think you're going to go to the next level by keeping the law? And that's exactly what I was talking about. There is a tendency to do that. Paul said, no, absolutely not. You began in the Spirit, continue in the Spirit. Go deeper in the Spirit. Verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. All right, so though we can see God with an unveiled face, it's not a perfect vision. We'll never really see Him or fully see Him until we stand before Him glorified. And uh, this is a reference, I believe, to ancient mirrors, which were not like the mirrors that we have. It was like polished metal, so the complexion was not that clear. But the reality still stands. As we behold the glory of the Lord, we are changed. As we behold the Lord, not as we try harder, not as we keep these rules and, and do this over here and don't do that over there, as we behold the Lord, we are changed as we behold His glory, as we sit at His feet, as we cry out for more of Him, as we worship Him, as we study the Bible and receive instruction from Him, as we fall down and He picks us up and brushes us off, as he disciplines us as children, we are changed. We are transformed. And that is where the old covenant fell short. As Pastor Bill mentioned last week, the old covenant could not save. All the old covenant did was help us really see how holy God is and how far removed from him we actually are. But the new covenant is grace and it gives us the ability to be changed. We're changed, notice this, by the Spirit of the Lord. So that's why we really seek to be Spirit-filled people. The Scriptures encourage us to walk in the Spirit, and that's not some mystical, weird thing. It means live your life in accordance with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And we know uh, so very well because of this, the heart of the Lord, the heart of the Spirit. But we also want to be filled with the Spirit. The Bible says, be being filled, literally, that in he, uh, Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit, be being filled. It's a continual idea. We want to always be crying out, 
that we would experience the freedom and the Spirit, that we would be, uh, would be a people that are filled with the Spirit. So I just want to uh, kind of close with this idea. You know, just a little recap. We have considered the implications of the veil, what that represented physically and spiritually, and the veil is removed for us who are Christians, who know the Lord. We talked about the freedom, the joy that exists in the Spirit. And we talked about being transformed by beholding the Lord. These are the, the realities of the new covenant, our dependency upon the Holy Spirit. So I just want to open up a little bit of time here at the end as we close in worship. We're going to have people up here who will pray for you. If you have not received Christ, I want to encourage you, come up. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. I want you to come up front and ask for prayer, and I want to see you say yes to Jesus. We all want to see that, do we not? We desire, we long to see people come to the Lord. If you have a hurting heart, if your heart is broken, if you're burdened, I want to encourage you to come up here for prayer. I've heard it said that if you preach to broken hearts, you will never lack an audience. All right, so I know there are people here today who are hurting with broken hearts. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want us to pray for you that you would receive the baptism of the Spirit, I want to encourage you to come up. We need the Spirit in our lives. If you want more of God's love, if you want more of God's power, I want to encourage you to come up. Let's lay hands on you and pray for you. Thank God for the New Covenant. Thank God for the, the New Testament teachings and I want to close with one verse Galatians 6 verses 14 through 15 but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation we have nothing to boast about except Jesus and the work of the cross and the only thing that matters is a changed life, a new creation. It's not about rules and regulations. It's about beholding His glory and being transformed. And it's all because of Him and what He has done. Amen? Praise the Lord. All right. Uh, any questions? Verse 14. Would you say that this is seen in our times where non-believers can't see things that believers can let me see specifically verse 14. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Yes, I do. I mean, spiritual things, the Bible, it's spiritually discerned. Uh, believers, people who have been born again, they can understand the Bible. It makes sense. Unbelievers, they don't, they don't get it. It makes no sense at all, which was true of me before Christ. Um, so I would say yes, if I understood the question correctly. Anything else? All right. That does it. Well, thank you, Lord, that we don't have to come through the law to you. We don't have to come through our performance to you. We don't have to come through promising we'll never do that again to you. Lord, as we approach Good Friday, we remember Jesus, your death for us. Your death removes our sins and sends them as far as the east is from the west. You've paid for our crimes. 
You've paid for our wrongdoing, and not only that, you've come to live within us, and you've given us your spirit, and where the spirit is, there's liberty. There's freedom, Lord, to follow you and to be free and not have to dwell on our failures, but to, Lord, to dwell on your goodness. So, Lord, may we dwell on your goodness. May we look at you, and may we look in the mirror even and see your glory in us. May we remember what we used to look like and then notice what we look like now and just know you're working in us, God. Your glory reflected in our lives. So thank you for all of that, Lord. We commit ourselves to you once again, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen, Amen, you guys. God bless you guys.